Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. This is Jonathan. This is Blix. This is Pixie. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast that just reached 600 episodes. Welcome to our podcast. We have been doing this since 2009. As a matter of fact, we're almost exactly recording this on the day that we released our first episode in 2009. It's been a long, long journey for us. Oh, yeah. And a lot of changes have happened, and we just want to thank everybody who has been with us from the very beginning, especially our hosts, who have been with us from the beginning or came in a little bit later, but have really contributed to this uh, podcast. I'm the only original host who's still here, and uh, I'm feeling it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, after a while, you you know, when you herd cats, you get scratches, so yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. Get, a, get a little get a little shy of that. But anyways, yeah, I mean, nobody expected such a long duration. We would have topics and ideas on how to bring the awesome to your game for this many years. But I'll tell you, you know, it's, I mean, if you go back to 2009, I started this podcast because it, it was my idea. And with the help of the other people who are part of the Fringeworthy Design Group. Because the year before, 2008, is when we released the D20 edition of Fringeworthy, which took quite a while to get out, too. So, and the reason that we started the podcast was because I'd always felt that the one of the big reasons for the games of Tritac, you know, especially Fringeworthy and Bureau 13, not really getting the traction that I thought it should have is because that gaming has always been a new product-driven market. And unless you're releasing new products on a regular basis, uh, you just fall out of the minds of the, of, of, the, of the people who aren't actively playing. So in order to bring in new new customers in order to keep their interest up, you need to continuously produce product or at least announce that it's coming and stuff like that. Tritac has was always terrible about that. Okay, I mean, if, it, he Richard would be talk your ear about uh, uh, off about all the different things that he had in the works that was planning on coming out if you could actually talk to him at his booth. Did Richard leak any secrets about Barrier 13 on our show? I'm sure he did. Probably more than a few, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it was after a lot of prodding, and we had, and finally, yeah, he would drop a nugget of secret wisdom here and there. Yeah. Yeah. And and there were characters from the early days of his early te- playtesting campaigns where you know 
they they inform some of the some of the things that went into the book but never were actually like written down in the book and occasionally he would talk about some of those things but uh yeah uh before every episode when richard was on richard would chat with us and sometimes afterwards and he'd say now you can't you can't tell anybody about this so i have like uh you know a lot of hours of richard basically telling us secrets that never got onto the podcast mm. you know but i still haven't been the raw files for the podcast ah i have all the secret info yeah oh yeah <laughs> anyways okay so let's move on uh we had a 123 episodes that were listed under special feature uh, and this included the Iron GM episodes where we basically made up a, an adventure on the spot, whether it would be Fringeworthy or Bureau 13 or whatever. Uh, we had the anniversary episodes like this one. Uh, we also had a lot of review. We did reviews of non-TriTac games. And we did some uh, like the SCP Foundation, like most recently. Uh, ECB, I think ECB, it was called. Yeah. yeah, ECB, ECB, External Containment Bureau. And then we also had the obscure TriTag game that we basically did one on, uh, like uh, uh, Murder Hoof <laughs> and, other and other games that basically nobody ever heard about them unless they happened to go to a convention, go to the TriTag site and dig through a couple layers. Or, yeah. you know, went, went, yeah, I mean, because Richard never demoed them. And, and of course, I came into TriTag through um, Monster Squash. That was how we met. Ah. I literally drove across a state to uh, uh, to a convention that Richard was at, and we played a game of Monster Squash. And I said I had such a good time that when our local gaming group decided to have a convention, I uh, tried to get Tritech stuff to sell at the convention. And he said, "Well, why don't I come down and sell it for you?" And I said, you come all the way, you know, down to West Virginia from Michigan, you know, for our little convention. He's like, sure. And that's how it all started. Oh, okay. Yeah. Back in 1980-something, you know. Uh, before, oh, jeez. Yeah. Before, it was before Frizz really came out because he had some of the galleys for it that he was showing. He was, you know, say, you, you like it? Is, uh, you know, I'm like, oh, Richard, what is that? He says, you, you'll have to wait. <laughs> <laughs> he was always doing that. Just wait, Bruce. You know, I got something special for you. And then six months later, I would come out, you know, like, I don't know, Haunts or Hell's Night or whatever. Yeah. It's a spinoff when he was on uh, episodes of the podcast, too, wasn't it? It's like, wait till you see what's coming next. Right. Well, that's his that's his tagline, which you. Yeah. Uh, but then uh, another special feature, which is what I like the best, was how to make the best X. And the two the two ones were the the series the two series we did on how to make the best magic system and how to make the best space game. Those were the two that I thought were the best out of the all the special features. Those were a lot of work. That magic one. Yes. Oh, that was a lot of. I work. think we had like eleven episodes of that. That's oh like yeah, just holy smokes, man! I'm I'm like. And, and and nothing, it's like, oh, God, we're still doing this. Jeez. And I'm looking at Josie, and we're going, yeah, we're still doing how to make the best magic system. And both of us went, went, <laughs> Well, you didn't seem like you were unhappy when you were doing them. <laughs> no, well, I mean, it got us really pushing for creating stuff, but it's just like, aren't we done yet? Yeah. Well, there was a lot, there was a lot to cover. Yeah, it paid off at the end, yeah. 
Well, you know, after I um, uh, uh, af after I write the um, ultimate interdimensional exploration guide, uh, I may very well write up the best how to make the best magic system. Oh, okay. Based on those episodes, so. All right, so the next one at 104 episodes was campaign management. You know, how to run a campaign, what, you know, what needs to be in the campaign, you know, what are the sticking points, where are the problems, you know, where's the, how can we as, you know, as gamers give knowledge to other people on how to make their campaigns a success. And the, uh, and the, the one uh, that I picked for this was saying yes. Hmm. Because nobody out there is is is, uh, is saying that. Everybody wants to be a rules lawyer, and I'm like, I say yes. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember that episode. Mm -hmm. I think that may have been just before I got I came on board. I don't know. You 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 could look it up. Yeah. Uh, but I'm saying is that we had a lot of different ones about campaign management since there's 104 episodes, but that was the one to me that was the the pinnacle where. We literally said, you know, what's important is that the players get to play the characters they want to play and get to do the things that make them awesome. And 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 you need to you need to run your campaign in such a way that they can do that. And that was, you know, that was the huge challenge for me because I'm a rule, I mean, I'm one of those I'm a stickler. I want to say here's the rules that's the way it is. You know, because because life is easy. Right? You know, it all makes sense. It may not make sense because the rules may be dumb, but they're written down and that's the way it is. And you can apply them evenly to everybody, no matter how bad it makes your game. It, it's a much more enlightened way to go and say no. The answer is to say yes. You might say yes, but, but it's still yes. Yeah. No, I agree. That, yeah, that was, yeah, that was yeah. fun to think of, like ways to, to do that. It'll flex your improv improvisational skills, if nothing else. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Do you guys, is there any other uh, campaign management episodes that you thought were really good? Oh, jeez. Um, I like, I, so Bruce, would, would um, playing the anti-hero, that, would that fall under that? Uh, that could fall under character development or it could fall under campaign management. Because I, I know we did, an we did an episode on that and that was kind of a fun one. Yeah. I think that uh, campaign management also would, would have included your idea of playing the bat, playing the monsters. Mm-hmm. Did the episodes on real life cults? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Whether or not to track things like gear, you know, is it really important? You know, is, or is it just getting? Is it just a nerdy thing that gets in the way of the flow of the game and just stops stops all the the plot as soon as you start saying, "Well, do you really have that on you?" Because right. I do that. I, I'm, I still do that. There are people like, you know, I, I had to fix it by basically saying, okay, you all have an equipment token, which means that there, if, if there's an item that you think you have a reasonable uh, chance of having on your person or in your bag of holding or whatever, you know, but you just didn't bother to write it down or mention it to me, you have it. <laughs> and it's solved a lot of problems. And people have even done that. You know, we're like, we're start arguing about it. And someone says, well, I have it in my, you know, my equipment token says I have this. So there we go. And I'm like, there, okay, there you are. There you go. All right. And we just move on. It's, it's a good thing. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to like uh, world building. Okay. That was a huge thing, of course, with Fringeworthy. Okay. And uh, my favorite, ep uh, there were six episodes on this. 
but it was power centers. We talked about how to create a, 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 a threat, not just like a one-time threat, but an ongoing threat, a, you know, that the, that the, that the main characters would bump into time and again, and, and oh, they'd yeah. have to work. They'd have to work with it. They couldn't just go and say, "Well, all right, you know, we're just going to kill kill off the, uh, the the fringe pirates." Boom! We just killed off that group of fringe pirates. But but where are all the rest of the fringe pirates coming from? And then make and then having to think up, well, what is what, you know, where are they coming from? And you know, uh, how much of a threat are they really? Or, and and stuff like that. So I really liked doing that because we knew that uh, for the the late uh, the late term campaign, the advan- uh, the late campaign, there was going to have to be something new, something powerful, something that was going to be a real threat to IDET, who'd been developing and getting better all this time. And what was that going to be? And it wasn't until Portals 4 came out where they basically said, where Richard said, well, I think it's the Coptics. Oh, yeah. And I agreed with him and used it in my, in my campaign. That, you know, but that was an example of a power center where you, know, you basically have a whole uh, aggressive civilization that isn't just going to dry up and go away just because you don't like it. And, we, and it, it set the stage for IDET saying, we've got to figure out a way of keeping them from getting any closer to the territories because we don't want to engage in an intractable war for centuries with this group of people over this narrow stri- strip of fringe path, you know? I mean, you know, they, they'll, they'll block us off. You know, they could block us off and we wouldn't be able to explore in that direction anymore. We don't and that kind of is what happened. But what they, what in our my campaign, what they did was they they said, okay, this node, this is it. They can't cross it, you know. And the reason they chose that node was because it was a magical node, and it had Faerun as you know. We we basically set the the IP for Faerun on that prime, yeah, and said, okay, this thing has magical resources. These Coptics are a derivative of Christianity, so they're not going to have magic and other things like that. We have a, 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 a something here that might be able to stop them because you know they won't be able to just take all their armored personnel carriers and just roll through the, uh, the, uh, the node and on continue on further down the fringe pass, okay? So they, uh, I mean, there was always the possibility that they could have literally poured concrete on the fringe path, on the portal, uh, I'm sorry, the platform, 600 foot wide platform, and just filled it up so high that if they, they, they came through, they were gonna have to, you know, uh, they would be stuck, you know what I'm saying? But that was not the solution they tried for. They, they instead tried to find a solution on the prime and get the prime, you know, involved in maintaining this, this this uh, border. Yeah. It took a year of adventuring, but we finally did it. And and I and that's a year of playing. Okay. I thought it was like two and a half that you were on Faroon. Maybe it was two years. It was yeah, a long, no. long time. Well, because I'm sitting there and, and I did that episode adding Fringe where the Forgotten Realms. I plot it all out and I had Bruce I won all those notes. Okay, sent typed out everything. Sent, and I'm like, two years plus, and they're still doing. Yeah, well, you know that is my gamers. I mean, they they don't do anything fast. That's <laughs> true enough. 
Bruce took this idea and just damn ran with it, and it lasted that long. Okay, I died. The the whole adding, you know, fringeworthy to various, you know, uh, set D and D worlds, including Galarian for Pathfinder. I'm proud of those two, and those probably at least three or four of these other topics here. Yeah, I think that I think that's part of world building because you know you had to take an IP that doesn't, and you had to make it interact with the game system and, and yeah. how Friends really works. And you had to set, you know, uh, the portals where you wanted them to be and where it was important. So, yeah, that, I mean, I couldn't have done, I could have done what I did without you doing that whole thing with Faerun. And then later on with... Greyhawk and Kryn, yeah. Yeah, Kryn, yeah. So uh, I never, we never got to Greyhawk. We just went, you know... No, we did I never did. Yeah, my, my guys never got that far. They, 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 they were, because they found, because in our, where you put it, you know, Corinne was a lot closer to Earth Prime. So yeah. it was like, oh my gosh, we can't let them know about this. <laughs> it's like, is they, they could, you know, because if they took over, if they, if they, if they got control of Faerun, then they could literally jump past uh, like a hundred portals uh nodes and get in and come out even closer so it was a whole thing and uh yeah so by creating these power centers it informed a lot of the activity that went on suddenly all those nodes that were nearby you know and you looked at the descriptions of what was on the alternates and the primes and things like that those all became much more important because you know they were resources they were people that could be conscripted into armies a lot of things, you know, like that. And again, this is one of the reasons why I didn't include how to make everybody fringeworthy, because that would have been just, you know, you would have had a huge marching army coming for Earth Prime at that point. So, yeah. All right. Uh, anybody else have a, a world building episode that they really liked? Would the I'm adding fringeworthy to, would those count as world building? Yes. Well, you did say with fair room. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Blick, blicks real quick and then Pixie. Oh, uh, world video. Yeah, I, I like. Okay, so I like the one we did, uh, and this one's kind of dear to my heart. So um, we talked about cyberpunk because that's oh, what yeah. my my group had spent a vast amount of time playing cyberpunk characters who wound up on the fringe paths. So when we ran into Idet, we weren't uh, we weren't members of Idet. We were actually we were pretty much French pirates, is what we were playing. Um, although we weren't trying to like mess with Idet, we were, but we also didn't want to be hampered by them. Um, so we, we would go up against them every once in a while. So the, the, I think Cyberpunk is a, is a nice fit for Fringeworthy. Okay. Uh, Jonathan? Skyrim. Skyrim in Fringeworthy. Okay. I'm a huge fan of the, the Bethesda games in general, but yeah. But um, also, I, ha I did have a wonder, and this made me think about it. Have we ever talked about, yeah. like, sidestepping the French path? Like, you know, in the instance of, like, Corinne and... And Faerun having, you know, yeah, spell oh, spell jamming. No, we brought it up. Yeah, we brought it up. Yeah, we we definitely brought it up when we talked about. Have we talked about others, like other possible? Because I know there was the the psych. We did an episode on others. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah we did. Um, and um, I talked about there was a character that was in one of the supplements for Bureau Thirteen. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Yeah, who had who had the ability to to dimensional travel on it all by himself. So uh, he he could bypass a lot of the secu uh, fringe uh, restrictions because of that, and he could even and he could bring anybody he wanted to with him. 
Yeah, Bruce, we, we even said that specifically, didn't we? had a conversation one time about the fact that um, the French paths are only one way to interdimensional travel. They were basically like a highway that was built, but if you could travel through dimensions, you could just do it yourself without it. Right. If you can find the back roads, you can use them. Right. Sure. Okay. Josie, was there an episode of world building that you particularly like, considering you did a lot of that? So, okay, you're at all the adding fringe-worthy to what was your favorite that you did? I was most into the Pokemon thing. Oh, no, I would say that that was your... That's really my thing, because it also gave me the chance to look at everything that the anime series, including the movies... Mm -hmm. The games, the spin-off series, and yeah. figure out how could they be put together and work with this fringe. You tried system. to coalesce all these different well, Pokemon media. To. Well, I mean, that's what you <laughs> set like, out to do. It's like and okay, anime, manga, video games, this. Slap it all together, make a cohesive universe, and then, oh by the way, we're gonna throw a fringe portal in too. Yeah, yeah. it was an endeavor, and that yeah, we role played Pokemon fringeworthy since she and I ran it at Con and the Cop. I forget what year, and it was like Damien Magecraft, Dirty yeah, Red, yeah. Ogre, Jeff. Yeah, and it was a hit. Oh, they loved it. They came back. It was well, a Friday night game. Again. Well, the thing is, it was a Friday night, and Red's looking at me. No, we're continuing this game tomorrow morning, Travis. Well, I don't know. I've All got. Right. Yeah, and everybody came back. Yeah, the yeah, morning. like nine a.m. Saturday morning, we continued the game, and we didn't plan it. It was just something we threw together because they loved it that much. So it's this like, is a play test of thing. I want to do it again. Yeah. Oh no, it, it'd be we'd have to sit and do some planning. Yeah, and then do like live play again or something. Yeah. Yeah, Jonathan can take over John's old character. Yeah. <laughs> oh no no no. <laughs> the next one in eighty-four episodes was game design. And my favorite episode was when we uh, said, how do you design a game so the courage matters? Oh, jeez. I got into D&D because I wanted to play heroic fantasy. I wanted to play heroes and knights and things like that. And I was thwarted on every angle for decades by the people who just basically wanted to murder hobo their way through the universe. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things that attracted me to the TriTag games was because they, you know, the the in the original rules, most of the experience went to people doing good things, courageous things, sacri- self-sacrifice, things like that. And so, so that episode was of particular meaning to me, saying how do we make our games so that acting courageously is the is the best way of of solving a problem and people will feel good about doing it. So yeah, that was my favorite episode for game design. And you guys have a, a particular episode you like for game design? It's a tough I'm having a hard time remembering that. Yeah, yeah, same here. Just game design is different from world building because it's about how you actually ru- uh, make the game, run the game, you know, run the setting, you know, how you design rules for games and things like that. So it's it's more of a you know it's, it's it's more mechanical than a lot of other things, but it's also like you know what what can you do to to make you know to facilitate you know uh, things in your game so that you you achieve the ends that you want your game to achieve. 
I would have to say what is canon, that whole thing. Because, if, again, it bring, in, if you want to play a game that had intellectual property, what is canon? What, there are times you have to make up mechanics to be able to do certain things. If a character can do something and it's not in the, your game mechanics, you often end up having to make up one on the fly. You have to you have to make up rules, yeah. Yeah, and so I think the what is canon, and that was like I think the four of us and Habibi were involved with that one, and that was actually yeah we had to sit down and yeah and just try to dope all that out and try to make it fit into a game using right. something that would be if it is or isn't canon and what sources and whatnot. So yeah, I suppose that would be game design. I think I think when we went we went went into the uh, others, so when we kind of dove into what. Uh, others were like or problem portals either one of those two um, where we actually had to flesh out what that means because you know in the in the book it just says okay this is what happens but you know like all right so where do you go from there what does that mean so like okay so i'm a disembodied spirit in this world for the next three hours but what what does that mean well can i walk through walls can i go underwater can i you know can i go can I fly up into the air or am I walking across some kind of like springy surface, which is the ground? Right. Or, or like the time we, we talked about the one where, you, where we went into the, uh, the computer um, because the, the French path is, is like a basically is, is like a big computer computer algorithm. Uh, and there must be some kind of intelligence or something going on there. So we were like, it's, it's potential. It's possible that there's actually like a, a, a computer world like Tron or whatever you could go into inside of the uh, inside of the, the programming itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, I thought those were pretty cool. I mean, some, some of those episodes we did on that because yeah, um, that's just stuff that just was never really covered all that much. It was just mentioned, but like then, then what? If you can go through a portal and become a disembodied spirit on a world, you can go through, your mind can therefore be encapsulated and put into any kind of a altered state or a virtual world. What did the Commonwealth design to happen at that portal? And because we know we got a lot of crazy t- uh, Commonwealth guys and women who are, are and it's that are uh, getting their funding to go and do crazy things. So you never know when you go through a portal where you might actually end up. And it could be a virtual space. Or were you, or, or like, like if you wind up in someone else's body, you know, you're, you um, like your, what's that show? Oh God. What was it show with, um, Scott Bakula, uh, uh, Quantum Leap. Quantum Leap. Quantum Leap. Yeah. yeah, you could do a whole Quantum Leap type adventure with one of them. Right. Well, you know, and I, I've done those. You know, where they went through and they found themselves all to be a member of a of a family. You know, and, you know little kids mm-hmm. and uh, adults, and and if somebody was so interested, they could have been the family pet, but nobody wanted to do that. So, <laughs> we, <laughs> we, they were all either kids or uh, kids or adults. You know, so, uh, but yeah. So that's part of game design is to say what's possible in this world. You know, what could happen? Can a fireball be grounded? I mean, I should say a lightning bolt be grounded. Right. Because you don't see that in D&D. I mean, D&D, there's no rules to say, well, if you hit a brass, you know, bound door, nothing happens because it immediately discharges into the ground and doesn't actually affect the door. But if you hit a door that's just wooden, it splinters and blows apart. Yeah. I mean, there's no rules in D&D to say that, okay? Yeah. And, and that's part of game design, to say what should happen in this circumstance. At uh, 70 episodes, I'm amazed at 70 episodes, we did Hardwired Hinterland. We did a ton 
of actual play. We spent a lot of time on Hardware Hinterland, and it was partially me because this has been the game that Richard had been promising since the 80s. It had been in catalogs coming soon forever. And Richard had talked in very vague terms about the hardwired Interland for so long, and I never knew anything about it. So when it finally came out, I was like, Gimme! <laughs> what is this thing that you have been, you know, uh, dangling in front of me and never explaining? Taunting you with, yeah. Taunting my, my juices with. And it's like, and I looked at it, and of course, immediately says, Well, we're going to have to change this. <laughs> Oh my God! No, no, I mean we did. We went through and we made a lot of changes to it, which you know we did on the podcast. Obviously, they didn't, we didn't actually do it in the actual game because though we did make some recommendations, we made a lot of recommendations to Richard about various things, like the whole thing about the lightning crystals. Okay, mm -hmm. so, yeah, that was a big thing because I could see it being a big thing. We did a whole ton of stuff about hardware here, how it worked ecologies doing a triangle trade between the ver the various islands and things like that but my favorite episode of all of it was why aren't the cats rulers of the entire hinterland 90% mm -hmm. of them are actually human intelligent and there's millions of them and yeah. we did a whole thing we did it biologically i went in i looked at structures of their brain and and how where their how much processing was various senses put to it and what their behavioral things were and so we basically came down to the conclusion that well they could they, they could have um taken over the hinterland except for a they just can't pay attention to anything long enough to succeed b they need to be constantly reinforced uh, as far as making it you know, pleasurable for them. And D, the dogs wouldn't let it happen because they were like 60% yeah, yeah, yeah. chance of having human intelligence. And they being, you know, dogs, they were on the side of the humans and they, would, they wouldn't let the cats get it over on us. Yeah. Hey, not only that, you can't get the cats to work together. That was the point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like villains, right? You the villains would take over because, you know, good is dumb, except for the fact that good can actually work together, whereas villains compete against each other. I love that episode. I don't know whether, I think it was just one episode, but I had so much fun doing it. And that was that was my favorite Hardwired Interland episode. I have to say, for me, it was, it was reviewing the second edition that, yeah, Rich started and all that, and then Mel refined it, cleaned it up, got John Ryder's help on it, uh -huh. because... It was things, I guess, not only that Mel and John came up with, but also things Mel found notes and stuff. She started digging through all of Rich's notes after he was gone, and she put that stuff in. And I think she also listened to our playtesting. I mean, we basically sent him a lot of information. That second edition is what got me, because I, I saw this game, and I was, I mean, Bruce, yeah, he was salivating over it. I'm just looking at it going, I don't know. Just, eh. And then found out, yes, there is a link to the fringe paths. And in the second edition of Hardwired Hinterlands, they tell exactly what that link is. There's not just a world that leads to the Hinterlands. It's like positive 110. It's an alt. No, they explain like the technical link between the two. That's That second edition is what got me to fall in love with it. I'm ready to run a campaign in it now. Yeah, it was also much better uh, organized, formatted. 
So yeah, it's they 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 resolved a lot of the issues you know that that were unclear. So yeah, it was it was good. You know, uh, I I I liked the second edition much more than the first edition. But what I liked the best is what we did with it. <laughs> oh no, the tribal trade that was another one was like I don't know about this. I really. But after a while, I got into it. And I liked it. And what was the other one? Oh, God, John using the fiasco game in Hardwired Hitterlands. That was my favorite. The brass monkey ball. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, and we used the fiasco rules to uh, to play it. And on Etowongo, the place where you you either uh, are invited for dinner or you're either or you're invited as dinner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I, I, much the same as far as like reviewing the second edition because that was honestly the first time I'd, I'd seen Hardwired Hinterland directly with my own eyes. Was that second edition? Ah. Um, but you know, again, finding out the little, little bits of connection between that and the, and the, to Hulk as a, as a whole, that was like, Ooh, that's a neat little tidbit. I'm going to keep that in mind for later. All right. Moving on to 65 episodes, fringe lore, things that specifically revealed something about the fringe paths that might not have been clear before. And my favorite part of that was when we fleshed out each of the races of the Commonwealth, of the new Commonwealth. The one-page intro, we did an entire episode just based off that one page just extrapolating. Oh, yes, I love those. Yeah, that was that was Jay Haley introduced us mm -hmm. to the, the key gag, right? <laughs> oh, gosh. Such a great key gag he is. John, John Slark was good. Listeners, you really should go and listen to that episode because Shay is a stitch. Oh no, he it's is just, funny. We were we were falling over on our chairs trying to do the podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. while laughing so hard. Yeah, it was. That was very entertaining. It was very funny. He was he was in his element at that point. Oh yeah, Peter. You, uh, I think you already mentioned the fact that uh, finding out that the people could that everybody could actually become fringe worthy that was part of fringe lore. Right. All the secrets that uh, Trav you know, is apparently it continues to be revealed to him. But is there any other episodes of a specific episodes of Fringe Lore you really uh you really liked? Didn't we I'm trying to remember. I can't remember because my, my friends and I have we played Fringe Worthy so much that um there are some things that I don't know if, if are are you know fringe worthy lore or just stuff that we made up. Um was wasn't the fringe path sort of like the utility tunnels? Yes. Like like, because yeah. you can, you can teleport from portal to portal. You never have you, like, if you really are a master of the French paths, you never even see the paths. You just like Stargate. You step through one portal and step out another portal. Yeah, yeah. If you if you have admin level access, yeah. you can do whatever you want to do. Uh, but uh, yeah, be, because this was supposed to be this was the engineering tunnels. Mm -hmm. Okay, this was you know uh, the big system. You know, is what everybody in the Commonwealth used to instantly zap themselves from world to world with whatever gear they wanted to have. Right. And and you can't get to the big system uh, off of the fringe pass. So there were so many things with fringe lore. So I love the whole, you know, the whole concept. I I hadn't understood this before, but like the gravity shear and being able to being able to capitalize on that to, to oh yeah uh, yeah yeah to have a vehicle maneuver uh, when we. Come up with the idea. I think I think and I think this was my idea. Um, 
where you you could have people in wingsuits with like roller like rollerblades, right? And you start rollerblading down the thing and just jump off the one side. And with the gravity shear, you could you could literally fly around it because as you as you came underneath of it, you'd start to get pulled towards it, um, and you'd build up speed. But then you'd go off the side and you'd go up, and then you'd so basically right. you just spiral around the path, and you you exactly. could just keep doing that. Yes. Yeah. And um. And you and you could travel much, uh, not at, faster than a fast car, but you could travel. It's a lot easier on you than walking fifty miles. And and what you're not really using too much energy, um, and you're not burning any gas, obviously. Obviously. Um, and then we what was the one we also did where we were like, yeah, because it's it's twilight, and you can't see very far. We we had this idea of of tethering like a hot air balloon or something above it so that you could monitor people coming through and they wouldn't even, unless they really knew where you were and are like using like, I don't know, using binoculars or something, they wouldn't even be able to see you. Right. Yeah. You could have a stealth observation platform, you know, like a thousand feet above the platform and nobody would see it in the twilight. Yeah, I, God, if you, if anybody listening to this plays Fringeworthy or wants to play Fringeworthy, decides to pick it up, you really got to go back and listen to our early episodes because. Oh yeah, right. Well, you can just click on that that category yeah. and it'll list you all the fringe lore episodes. I mean, there are sixty five, and that's a lot of them, but they're topical. You could look at the ones that you think are the most interesting. Yeah, because we we went deep into all this stuff and revealed all kinds of stuff and had. And you're talking about people who've been playing Fringeworthy since you know. Well, Bruce, I don't know how long you've been playing. You longer than me, but I think I started playing in. I want to say eighty six. 87? Oh, I think I started in 83 or 84. You're talking about people who've been playing Fringeworthy for 20, 30 years with all always always coming up with ideas for it. And then we all get around and start talking about it. We were, all was revealed. I, I okay. I think this would count as fringe lore because it involves the Melor. And Blix and I, as the term would say, we went ham on this. Playing a redeemed Old Melor, post-Melor cure, they get redeemed. They were a mutant Melor, like a greater master, and they get the slard bite, and now you have to play that. Oh, okay, and I mean, yeah. Oh, no. Peter, you and I just went ham on that subject. We <laughs> went off on that for at least an hour, just you and I ripping off each other. Because you live forever, and you've got all these bad memories of all this bad crap that you that's, did. That's exactly and, I mean, you were the worst. I mean, you could think of the worst dictators and mass murderers of all time, and you were all of them at once. And now you have to be you, – you have to live – you are good again, and you have to live with all this these machinations that you did over millennia. Just think. And, you, you could have been you could have been the old Meller or the – let's say the, the infected Meller, whatever, who uh, went from world to world – and found every version of, of where they could be Hitler and perfected it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, okay, well, it didn't work as well this time. But this time I'm going to, well, you know. Well, the thing was, it was, and this is advanced level playing and GMing, folks, but Blix and I, we just broke it down. Okay, if you're going to play, if your GM is allowing you to play with the stats in, in Fringe for the OGL, a redeemed Melor or a cured Melor, just how to go about that and the mindset you would have to have and even life experiences. That was probably my favorite fringe lore 
And as I said, Blix and I just, we, we were off to the races. It was one time where we left Bruce and John behind. And so Bruce, yeah. Bruce, you had one where, where somebody, you did thing where somebody had to play an infected Meller in an adventure. Or they had to play, not an infected Meller, I'm sorry. They had to play a Meller that was in the party that had come back from my debt in the early days. Wasn't that an adventure that you ran? I don't know. I actually recently tried to do that in my own campaign. They, they, it, it's so totally frightened the player that I asked to do it that he, he they basically uh, figured out a way of basically just going back in time and resetting the whole thing so he didn't have to do it. Oh, God. <laughs> so uh, I don't remember. I, I've done a lot of stuff during over the years, for sure. But let, But let's move on. We've already talked about setting information in 59 episodes because we talked about Forgotten Realms. Yeah. We talked about, you know, uh, Pokemon and all those other things like that. The next one is character development at 56. My favorite were the swimsuit edition and all the episodes we did on heroic play, trying to make, you know, but um, we we did a lot of episodes on on how to, you know, you know, how to make your character distinctive and how to really be your character instead of just being, you know, a, a Mary Jane of yourself. You know, and, and not, not that there's anything particularly wrong with being a, a Mary Jane of yourself, but you should only have one character that is like that. Uh, sorry, that's Mary Sue. And and the other one is Mar- Marty Stew, if you're the, the male. Yeah, Marty Stew. Marty Stew, right. Author self-insert. I mean, people do that. It's, you know, the early players, it's the go-to. I'm really playing an idealized version of myself. But eventually, you know, this, you know, you, you know this is, this is the, the great thing about tabletop is that you can step into the shoes of somebody who isn't you and play that person and learn as a, as, and grow as a, as, as a person by playing this character. Let that, let that character take the risks that you're afraid to do or let that person, you know, or maybe find out that you really like something because your character's trying to do something that you never got a chance to do. So, I mean, you know, character development is really, really important. And that's one reason why we, we, we did the episode on the swimsuit edition because we said, let's take all these people and, and, and take them out of their, their uh, you know, combat comfort zone and put them into a purely social situation and see what they do with themselves. And that was, and that was a lot of fun to do. I really enjoyed that. And then, of course, equally was the campaign ideas where we'd come up with different ideas about, how, you, know, what, what, you know, what do you want to do in your campaign now? And we talked about the three different levels in Fringeworthy, but also in Bureau 13, campaign ideas in Hardwire Hinterland was, was difficult because it wasn't written in such a way to do that. And we made a lot of suggestions to that. I actually made a, a, a small campaign arc that people could do. But uh, the one I liked the best was the Great Fringe Race. They were actually going to set up a, a huge race across multiple worlds, you know, like the greatest race that they had on television some time ago and uh and just and just and just try to take it to 11 just you know different vehicles having to be switched out to some of them to go across the ocean some of them to go across tundra some of them to go through swamps and things like that and and how that would all work that was so much fun for me i really enjoyed that were there any campaign ideas that really resonated with you guys i like John's idea of the Fringeborn, the first generation of, of fringe explorers that 
damn near from birth. That's all they know is fringeworthy. So they get to go to prestigious universities and learn on a multitude of worlds, and they get immersed in this new fringe culture from go. So they get the best oppor educational opportunities throughout the multiverse. That was a really good idea John had, and that'd be, again, I, I won't live long enough to have all my campaign ideas, and I think I just added one more. <laughs> <laughs> your reach should always exceed your grasp. Yeah, yeah, that, not, not a problem there. You'll die happier that way. Yeah, yeah. But no, I really enjoyed that concept of just an entire culture of kids that they all they know is the fringe paths, and to them... The multiverse is like, you know, going to the mall. You know, it did, yeah, okay, we stepped through and we're on the Golden Lord world. We went horseback riding across the Mongolian steppes. Yeah. And tomorrow we're going to go to, you know, the Tazeel world and, you know, and, and do sword fighting. You know, yeah. And for them, it's just la-di-da, we're going to do it. And we, and we get to go to the, uh, the Baths in, in Londarium. And, and Trev, weren't you the one that, that went really far with the the idea of the Coptics. Didn't you have a whole campaign based around the Coptics as the bad oh, no, guys? I've, I've run Coptic Adventures. Yeah, I think it was a campaign, and I ran it at a game at a con, one of the games I ran at MarsCon. And what was it that, yeah, because I, I kind of, you know, exposed uh, Breakman Z to Fringeworthy, and it was a Coptic adventure. And, yeah, I can't say how he described the Coptics, but... Yeah, it just, he really hated them. I mean, like, it because I just played them, and it, it's kind of a cheap cop-out, but I just played them as these zealots. And I went there, and yeah, no, Z was like, oh no, these guys are just rat, you know what, sons of, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. Yes, they are human beings, but this this ideology they have just, yeah. It, it's, it, is just how far a, a humans can go, and I just went there. Right. And Z got a little frightened. He was like, oh, yeah, Trav, yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I like running the Coptic. The next one is actual play. I It's really hard for me to believe that we had 55 episodes on actual play. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, it does make sense because we did a bunch of actual play ourselves. We did the intro, Fringeworthy Adventure. We did a whole bunch of them on Hardwire Hinterland. And we did those episodes on Fallout PNP. But then we also include all of the other people like the Sunday Skypers and other people who were running games and we added them to our feed. Yeah. So that's why when you look at um, our... The number of episodes we say we got 600 episodes, but then, it, it, but there's like 650 entries. Mm. It's because oh. of all this additional material that we just plugged in because they were from other people, other people's podcast episodes that related to what we were trying to say and do. Yeah, and we, we wanted them. We wanted to promote them. Bruce, didn't we record an episode at Gen Con and put it up? Well, yeah. Okay. Right. But that wasn't an actual play. No, no. I mean, I, just... I thought we did. I thought we recorded an actual play at Gen Con and put it into the... I don't remember, but it's possible. I mean, if, we, if it was quiet enough, sure. I seem to remember setting up the microphone right in the middle of the table. Uh-huh. Well, maybe we did. I, I, I mean, you could look it up. So, uh, I, you know, just go, to the, just go to the website, dude. <laughs> just hit actual play and look through the list. 
42 episodes, we had GM tips where we said these are how the GM can make his game awesome. These are little things you can do, you know, not not just the big things, but little things. And we had like four episodes of RPG hacks of various oh, yeah. kinds. Here's a rule that if you exploit this rule in the game, you're, you can go and do crazy stuff. People don't know about this rule or they, they've forgotten about this rule or if you, these two rules, when they interact together, you get this other effect going on and, uh, you know, just, just tons of stuff, you know, uh, that uh, we, we came up with. We had, I mean, we literally had four episodes on this. This is how many ideas we came up with. If you want to see crazy things you can do to mess with your players or mess with your GM, these are the episodes to go to, guys. I would have to just say, yeah, the RPG hacks I like because that kind of got into the mindset of us and what we do. So that, of course, gives insight to our listeners about us hosts and what how we roll. Just our, we're giving, we're handing you experience from our century or so of tabletop game mastery. So I like that because it got the listeners to know us. What kind of what I thought was interesting was that you know this was uh, when did we we started this show in what two thousand nine right right October two thousand nine several episodes in the early days of GM tips flash forward ten years later and there's like every other podcast every other gaming podcast out there has GM tips and it's just funny it's like doing this ten years ago like, you know. Not to be that guy, you know, say, oh, I was doing it before it was cool. It's just, it, I just found that kind of interesting. Just go and stroke that neck beard. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, actually, no, but, oh, so Bruce, I found it. Episode 223 and 224, it was Dragon Con. Uh, that was a uh, live ah. play part one and well, I've played part two. Cool. All right. Okay, I'd forgotten about that. But my favorite one was still the uh, Fallout PNP. <laughs> But I had a lot of fun with that intro Fringeworthy Adventure where we were trying to get people to understand what it was like to play it. And we had you and John Ryer and all you guys were part of it. And we did that one on the island, mm -hmm. you know, where they had a volcano, but it turned out not to be a volcano. Right. <laughs> okay, that was cool stuff. That was one of the adventures that I uh, published in uh, Infinite Crossroads. Mm. So, uh all right, so uh, now Incursion, we did a bunch of episodes on because, you know, that was Trav's gateway game. That was the one that got me into TriTech. Shelly's mother got me the book at 89, or no, it was 92 when it came out. So, like, at, I think Confusion 93, so er, very early 1993, I got this book. She bought it for me, and Rich wrote in, like, purple pen on it. And I used the holy crap out of that book. I finally brought it to a con and showed Rich. Holy! And yeah, just be, it. that is probably my most used and abused book out of all of my gaming books. And again, like four or five bookshelves. The one that nobody wants to buy and put into their collection. Right, but <laughs> that was my gateway. I, I don't get the guys that want you know want to just buy stuff and keep it in a collection. Yeah. Like play the games, guys. Hey, hey, Trav, is is wait, real quick, Bruce. Trav, is incursion? Is that is that why you like uh, Farscape so much? Oh yeah, yeah, and I didn't realize that until years later. I'm I'm watching. You know, the second wife got me hooked on Farscape. This is all very familiar. Holy <laughs> crap! <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Another another property rich invented. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, my favorite episodes were the Alien Love episodes and the episodes on on how to be a trader by you know buy from one world sell on another because incursion really didn't have any other way of making money and supporting yourself until of course Richard said well you do realize that uh, uh, that the uranium that's under the blue field in the hold is actually enough to buy an entire world you're never going to run out of money with that and i said well i i didn't get that you know, when i read it okay so you can either be rich as crocious if you figure it out or you end up being a trader and you want to do that anyways because you're trying to buy those uh those navigational cubes trying to find your way back to earth so but anyways those are my two favorite on that on you know survival, which fell under 29 episodes, Peter's already talked about adventuring during a disaster. That was my favorite for the survival category. And uh, we did like eight of those. Okay. Uh, Weird Zone, surprisingly, we did a lot more than I expected. There were 28 episodes with Weird Zone in it. And, and that was another game of Richard's that, that kind of slipped in under the radar. It was one of those things you look at and you're like, you know, and we found so much stuff to talk about on that show, like about the the, the pirates and, and things that happened on the worlds you got dropped on. Just, we really enlarged the game, you know, from what Richard put in that relatively slim publication that he did. I actually inserted Weird Zone into, what was it, the Time Lords and Magic Campaign, you know, mashing up Doctor Who and World of Darkness. And it worked wonderfully as they bounced from world to world. And Perky Goth came up with the idea, why don't we have something like where they just plot a land, and she never read Weird Zone. So I just sent her the PDF. She goes, Rich did this. I said, yeah, a few years ago. That's <laughs> creepy. <laughs> and it worked. So, yeah. No, Weird Dude, Zone, if you play it right, it's it's wonderful. We were, it, we, were, yeah. uh, we were playing uh, the cyber – it was a pre-cyberpunk game, so – uh, it was it was supposed to be set right before cyberpunk happens. We played this campaign for about a year. We were getting a little bored. Uh, we just, you know, just kind of, I don't know, just kind of ran its course. So the game master has this, find this this plot of land, something weird about it. We went in to investigate. And next thing you know, poof, you know, we're in, we're, we're in weird zone. And we ran that for a while. And that was fun. That was really cool. I, and, and I got to tell you, at first... I, to be completely honest, I thought Weird Zone was a bizarre concept. And I was like, I, I was like, I don't see how that can be. I don't know if it's going to be a fun campaign to play, but we did. We played it for a while. And then once we kind of played that out for our, for our campaign, John had the, uh, the plot, you know, so, so you got your, your, your zero plot flying through this, like, I don't know, this ether, this space or whatever. Right. So what, what does it crash into a pathway? A fringe-worthy pathway. So he had said it in French space that we were flying through French space, and that that's how you wind up at these different dimensions and stuff. It's just another way to travel. So we jumped off of it, and he basically made the ruling that because the two of them kind of work off sort of the the same physics, that once you jump off that plot onto a fringe path, that's it. You're separated from it. You don't. It won't pull you back. And you're also fringe-worthy. And we start. And you're fringe-worthy. So we started playing fringe-worthy. So it was just, it was cool. I was, it was really cool, cool way to treat that. Well, I, I like the episodes that came out of it, especially the one that says you might be in over your right. head if, cause like you never knew what you were going to run into when you landed on these worlds. You know, you just kept popping from world to world after traveling, floating through this weird ether. Suddenly you're, 
your your house would 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 just appear in a spot on a world and you never knew what was going to happen around you so the episodes were saying if you see this folks then maybe you need to stay in your basement this uh, for the next 24 hours and t- and and wait till you hop to the next world because this one right. you don't want to deal with so that was that was what the the you might be in over your head kind of thing so we had a lot of that the package survival was really the gear episodes. This is what you need in order to succeed in whether you're in Bureau 13 or FTL or whatever game it was. We, we had gear episodes for it, for packing survival. It kind of fell under the, the survival one. I, I thought those were the best ones for packing for survival. And that and I specifically pulled that so that people, when they were playing, the you know, when they were looking at our site, they could say, well, I want to just look at the gear episodes. And that's why I had it there. So that they could do that. But uh, that was 25 episodes, by the <laughs> way. <laughs> so we had a lot of gear episodes. The next one at 15, not surprising, Christmas episodes. Oh, yeah. And my favorite were all the Santa episodes. We tried to make Santa work in various alternate Earths. And I thought that was so much fun. The, the key the key gag Santa versus... Versus the... Norlander <laughs> Santa. Right. Yeah, that would be just crazy. Hey, you know what? The Demixie Santa could go down the chimney pretty easily, I would think. Do not want to wake up in the middle of the night to see that, though. Right. Could you no, imagine no, there's no, a no, giant no. spider putting tra- putting gifts under your tree? It's like, I'm not no. opening that. Yeah. You're not supposed to see me. And of course, it's, br- it's breathy. You're not supposed to see me. It's like, oh, God, I wish I hadn't. Yeah. Because that, you know, that breathy sound is so creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. And then we had TriTac News for 13 episodes because we didn't generally, you know, uh, we did kind of like one a year talking about, you know, the new thing. And then my favorite bittersweet was the Richard Taholka visionary episode where we basically, I just talked about Richard and all he had done and, and, um, and what was the plans for his funeral and things as much as I could understand it. So, uh, but that was my, my favorite there. And then at 13 episodes, surprisingly, 13 episodes, you know, one of the longest games published, FTL 2448, we'd only done 13 episodes on that. And the, the, the one I liked the best about it was Spaceships You Want, because there's a whole lot of spaceships listed in the game. And I was like, but yeah, but are they the spaceship you want? And that was the whole point of the episode was to talk about what goes into a spaceship that you really like to have. And it's a very nice corollary, by the way, with Up Further Up, which is making the best space game. No, okay. Within the FTL 2448 game universe, it was like I was, we were talking about, you know, do you really want the big giant colony ships or do you want like a little Corsair? For your, you and, and your play, what's the one that really jazzes you up? It was a fun episode. I really enjoyed it because, of course, you have to include, you know, the, the all the weird races like the ones where the ships are alive. Mm-hmm. OK. And then, of course, there's the other ones where they were from the, the race that just bioengineers itself any way they want to. And, of course, all of their sh- ships are like wacky. <laughs> yeah. You know. It's they. There were lots and lots of different ships we went over. That there are a lot of supplemental material for FTL twenty four forty eight that came out late. Like you know, the, uh, the, especially when uh, before John left, he was talking about how Richard had to put a whole 
supposedly a whole Enemy Stars campaign that we really didn't promote very well in the back of the second book of Fringeworthy. <laughs> I'm not Fringeworthy, but FTL 2448. And that there was a lot of supplemental material that actually never got into print and is available. Uh, you know, from various people. And, of course, a whole series of ship designs that were done by Tom Dow that he, he uh, very graciously made available for anybody who wanted to download them. We have all that stuff. Uh, any of our listeners who, who want to, to see some of that, you're welcome to it. It's not public domain. You know, it's, it's just been uh, distributed at no cost currently. Okay? I don't want anyone to think that, that Richard gave up any of his IP. Because he didn't. We had three episodes on Easy Space, which is where we reviewed it. <laughs> we just basically worked our way all the way through Easy Space, which was one of the last games that Richard uh, produced. Was it the, the very last game? I think so, yeah. Wait a minute, there was... It was like either that or Eradicator. Eradicator yeah. was a late one. Yeah, but it, I, I'm sure it was before Easy Space, I think. Okay, I think he, he cobbled a lot of stuff out of Lightspeed for that, which is a game he never published. Uh, the game he never published that we were still expecting to happen, but he just ran out of time, uh, was Elfwinds. That's the one game that he didn't actually manage to get out. Uh, okay. Because we knew he was trying to get out all the different games he'd always wanted to do and never had time to do it. And essentially, when he stopped working, he just threw himself into getting as much stuff out as possible. And I think that Easy Space was the last game that was considered a full-fledged game that he actually got out. Did Melanie or anyone ever finish uh, Elfwinds? Was it ever finished? It's never been finished. I mean, he basically told us a little bit about it. And, and I think he told us about it not on camera, like we can't talk about this, but he told us stuff before or after the episodes. So I know something about it, but like the only thing we did was announce it. Mm. It's in one episode and we basically announced it. Yeah, Rich told me a little bit about here and there, yeah. So there is a game out there that uh, that Tritac, you know, if they want to, that is, that is pure Toholka that, uh, you know, that can be produced uh that's never been seen and that's Elfwind. so if they really want to do it that's that's what they can do now is it the best game to bring out i don't know i don't know what they got working in their their midst i was kind of hoping john would be here to give us some information but you know he isn't so that's the way it is so that's basically all the different categories 600 episodes broken out in like 27 uh, 26 categories, which is, I think, pretty uh, uh, quite a legacy for us. Yeah. As game masters, game designers, and podcasters, I'm glad to have been there for all of it, uh, except for the couple episodes you guys did because I was on vacation and you did them anyways. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I listened to them. I always listened to them. What's wild, Bruce, is that we started out as the Frenchworthy podcast and it was just like kind of a fan thing. Yeah, uh, because we wanted to, you know, give back to what Rich had, had given to us, and then when we decided to become the TriTag Podcast, we became the official podcast. We got the blessing. Right. Um, we were still a fan podcast, and nothing we said was actually, you know, was official. Well, I mean, we but we we did get the blessing to be the official podcast. For oh yeah, that's the thing. Rich called the four of us. The right, but I'm just saying all the con 
all the content that's on the podcast is all non-official. That's us. Yeah, it's just yeah, us. Yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah. True, true enough. But I mean, outside of Richard, it's as official as you're going to get. <laughs> well, right? yeah, Rich called the four of us, me, Bruce, John, and Blix, the TriTac Brain Trust. Right. Because he trusted the four of us to come up with stuff. And and Bruce would come up for stuff, oh, like, the you know, the whole Shadow Works, the reason for the Massacre of 77. Richard's like, right. okay, yeah, I trust you guys. Yeah, that was the reason why it happened. And it was something that Bruce and I, and it was funny, Bruce and I came up with it each independently. Right. That and was then, the thing. But Richard's like, no, okay, that's a good reason, because he never came up with one. He left it for the various GMs to do it. So, yeah. Richard was big on letting the GM decide how they want to play their game and filling in the blanks. He felt that good GMs would be able to do that, and he didn't have to do that for them. I've always said that, too. I'm, I'm kind of like, if you buy something that I've made, it becomes yours. I mean, it's my it's my IP. Like, I still own the IP. But, you know, what you do with it, say, for example, at your game table, what go for it. Whatever you want to do with it. Even if I disagree with it. Even if it's something that I would hate that you did, it doesn't matter because you bought it. It's now yours. It's your table. It's your game. It's your story. Right. Right. But because we're in an industry where people are trying to always get attention by producing products, you know, there's a counter push to always try to say, we're the official source for all knowledge about this game. And I think that's actually in many ways hurt, you know, these games out there because it, it you know, it, in some ways it has stifled creativity because of that. And Richard was never like that. He was like, you bought the game, you play the game. I'm happy you're playing my game. Yeah. You know, but buy some more copies for your friends. Sure. That's all he wanted. He just wanted people to buy more copies. Yeah. And I, <laughs> he even made a joke. He says, if I've offended you, my game has offended you, please feel free to buy and burn as many copies as you, as you want. want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Knock yourself out. Buy 10, burn all 10. Yeah. Richard, Richard was a great guy like that. He had a great sense of humor. I really miss him. I miss him every day. Oh, you know yeah, what I, say, I, I say to people, say, hey, if, if if you're not playing the game that I designed something for, but you can use it anyway, knock yourself out. Please buy the book and then, you know, use it for whatever campaign or whatever game system or whatever the hell you want to use it for. You want to buy my stuff and use it at Savage Worlds? Please go for yeah. it. That's our 600 episode, Yay! guys. Thanks Woo! so much Yay! for listening to us. We, you know, we went over what we've done for the last 13, 12, 13 years, yep. 600, 599 episodes. We think we did we did you a service. We hope we did. <laughs> if anything else, as one person said, it's a great bunch of nerdy guys arguing with each other. Oh yeah. That uh, we we someone actually said that about us on Facebook. Oh jeez. <laughs> well, I, I mean honestly, I, I, that's all I want is for people to enjoy this kind of stuff because uh yeah. we're, we're not I mean, the only thing we get out of it is you enjoying it. My favorite part of, of doing the podcast is when I would go and I would say something, you know, like an idea, and, every, and it would be dead silence. And he go, he says, where the hell did you get that idea, <laughs> right, Bruce? <laughs> he says, that is just nutso or whatever. And, and I've had a few moments like that during, you know, during the, the last 599 episodes. And everyone just warms my soul. Yeah. <laughs> because... Because you guys, you know, when I can shock uh, or stun you guys, you know, it, it just, you know, it just says, yeah, you still got it. He's still got it. <laughs> Bruce is doing that downward fist. Just, yes. Yeah. 
Yes. All right. Well, I, you know yes. what, Bruce? Thanks for inviting me for coming back to come back on and, sure. and, and reminisce with you all. It's, it's been great. Yeah. And and Josie, thank you very much for coming on because we do miss you. And you're welcome back anytime you want to come. Oh, she still has ideas. Yes. Yes, I've got at least two things off the top of my head I have not gotten a chance to do, and one of them is in your book. Okay, yeah. Jonathan, late, but not the least. I, I, I've been here in spirit from the beginning, but yeah, not as a host. <laughs> I have run games for Jonathan at, at conventions for many, many decades now. He's always been part of, the, of, of my extended family, the TriTac family, but I'm glad that he's officially you know, in, in the group. And he's, he's a great, I think you're a great podcast host. And I've really enjoyed listening to your, your your contributions. Oh no, Jonathan, I've enjoyed you being along. Trust me. Yeah. And Trav, you know, you are definitely a, an equal partner in this endeavor that we've done. You may not have been there at the first, but you're here. I want to say the last because that sounds bad. <laughs> but you're here now, and you're one of those stands that makes this whole thing work. So I appreciate that. Thank you. It, it, it's just so you know this. Yeah, I've been, except for a year and a half, but I'm going to follow your star. I mean, I, I still see you as my boss on this. Just, <laughs> But I, I have enjoyed working with you all this time, and I intend to do so for a lot longer, sir. All right. Well, as long as we got something to say, yep. we will have an episode for you. But you're going to have to wait until next week. So until then. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is Amber. It's all fun and games until the DM rolls a one. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blakes. Remember, don't shoot the portals. They shoot back. This is Eric. It's all about having fun with friends. This is Jay Libby. The gamer generation is you. This is Jay. Keep it simple. The players are going to complicate it for you. And this is Mark saying good night and good luck. And this is Paul. When you remove the pin, Mr. Grenade is no longer your friend. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.